All right, so Leviticus chapter 16. We're going to, uh, today actually we're going to close uh, talking about uh, that day of atonement, Yom Kabor, um, in the Old Testament in the book of Leviticus. We uh, already did two weekends on it, and today we're going to just close it up. So let's just recap here what has been happening in Leviticus 16. Again, this is... Um, fundamental, foundational chapter in the Bible. You need to know, in the book of Leviticus, there's few chapters you need to know. You need to know the sacrifices. You need to know Leviticus 16. You need to know Leviticus 23. You need to, let, to know Leviticus 25. We'll talk about that later. But this is foundational. This is the one day in the year when the high priest get into uh, the very holy of holies to atone for the sins of the whole people. Amen? What we have been talking about so far is, we, we started with an introduction, and then we talked about the rituals of that, um, of that day, what happens. Let me recap, uh, and then that will give us, set us up for today as well. So, two of Aaron's children, one called Nadab and the other called uh, Abihu. Now, Aaron is the high priest, Moses' brother. They offered a profane fire to the Lord, so God struck them dead because they sinned against him. And in light of uh, God just killing both of them, God came to Moses and Aaron and he said, you just can't come into my presence every day like this. We're going to set rules from now on. And that's where the Day of Atonement came from. God said, uh, any priest can get into the holy place any time of the year, any day, to atone for sins, offer the sin offering. That's perfectly fine. But into the holy of holies, the whole, very holy place, only the high priest, one day a year, he can get in there how many times? Twice. The first time he goes in with the blood of a bull to atone for his own sins, the sins of his own family and his household. And then after that, he, he goes out, he now takes another blood, the blood of a goat, and he uses that to enter again into the very holy of holies to atone for the sins of the whole nation of Israel. Amen? Amen. Um, and then when he goes inside every time he has to sprinkle the blood on that mercy seat that's the lid the cover that covers the ark of the covenant inside the very holy of holies and that's pretty much once a year they have to do that we say that in that day of atonement both the high priest and the sacrifice are pictures of christ if you remember we talked about how the high priest Aaron, in that day, is a picture of Jesus about two weeks ago, uh, three weeks ago. And then two weeks ago, we talked about the sacrifices itself, how the blood of the sacrifice is a picture of the blood of Jesus. Amen? Amen. We, if you remember, there was that two goats, one goat to be killed by its blood, they enter into the Holy of Holies. The other goat, they just keep aside, and once the high priest Aaron in, in, in here in Exodus 6, Leviticus 16, finish the whole ceremony. He puts both his hands on that, uh, on that goat, confess all the sins of the people. Then they take that goat to the wilderness and let it go as a, a, as a reminder that through the blood of Jesus, our sins has been atoned for and we also can be forgiven before a holy and a righteous God. Amen? Amen. So both the high priest and the sacrifices, the blood of the sacrifice, are picture of Christ being our high priest and the sacrifice himself himself on the cross. Today we just gonna wrap it up. Uh, we're gonna talk about notes and lessons, stuff that we learned from the Day of Atonement. 
It's just amazing to me how in the very heart of Leviticus today, you're going to see the gospel loud and clear, loud and clear throughout that chapter. Amen? So what I am going to do is we're going to just pick up some few verses here throughout that chapter. Now that you know how it works, we're going to read random few verses and then we're going to highlight few lessons that each one of us can learn from Leviticus chapter 16. Amen? So let's read it together. It's in your notes. Um, you can follow with me from the Bible if you want to. But Leviticus 16, 1. Now the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of two sons, of the two sons of Aaron, uh, when they offered profane fire before the Lord and died. And the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, your brother, not to come at just any time into the holy place inside the veil. Before the mercy seat, which uh, is on the ark, lest he die, for I will appear in the cloud above the mercy seat. I'm going to skip to verse 6. Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering, which is for himself, and make atonement for himself and for his house. I'm going to skip to verse 13. Uh, and he shall put incense on the fire before the Lord, that the cloud of incense may cover the mercy seat that is on that testimony, lest he die. Verse 15. Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering, which is uh, for the people, bring its blood inside the veil, and sprinkle it on the mercy seat and before the mercy seat. So he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel. We're going to skip a few parts of verse 16, verse 17. There shall be no man, look at this, there shall be no man in the tabernacle of meeting when he goes to make atonement in the holy place until he comes out. How many people should be in the, whole, in the tabernacle during that time? Only one, the high priest, nobody else. We're going to skip all the way to verse 29, and we're pretty much going to read till the end of the chapter from there. He shall, it, this shall be a statue forever to you. That's big, right? God is saying, this is very important. You pay attention to this. This is unchangeable. Amen? This shall be a statue forever to you. In the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict your souls and do not work at all. How much work? None. The only thing they do is just to afflict their souls. Whether a native of your country or a stranger who dwells among you, for on that day the priest shall make atonement. Who shall make atonement? The priest shall make atonement for you to cleanse you, that you may be clean uh, from all your sins before the Lord. It is a Sabbath of a solemn rest to you. How much work they need to do? None. It is a Sabbath. You rest on that day. Do zero. Nothing. Um, and you shall afflict your souls. It's a statue for how long? Forever. Verse 32. And the priest who is anointed and consecrated to minister as a priest in his father's place shall make atonement and put on the linen cloth, um, the holy garments. Verse 33. Then he shall make atonement for the holy sanctuary and shall make atonement for the tabernacle uh, of meeting and for the altar. And he shall make atonement for the priests and for all the people of the assembly this shall be an everlasting statue for you how many times we read like everlasting forever everlasting forever right you see that that with the emphasis here god is saying 
this is eternal right and it's really eternal because it was fulfilled literally till Jesus came and since Jesus came it has also been eternally fulfilled in a spiritual way right so this is really eternal regardless of its literal or spiritual it is eternal to make atonement for the children of Israel for all their sins once a year and he um, and he did as the Lord commanded Moses we're gonna skip now from Leviticus 16 to Leviticus 23 verse 29 uh, God in Leviticus 23 this is the list of the feasts that Israel celebrate throughout the year, and one of them being the Day of Atonement. So verse 29, we we'll read this about the Day of Atonement. For any person who does not afflict, affl who's not afflicted in soul, on that day he shall be what? Cut off from the people. So this is important. You guys get it? Alright, so let me just start by... Uh, telling you something and then we're gonna try to dig deeper into the text and try to understand some lessons for us if you are a believer today if you're a Christian you know that you're going to heaven you're washed by the blood of Jesus and you want to share the gospel with people but you just don't know what to say I personally don't believe that such a person exists. I don't believe that you can have a passion in your heart to share the gospel. You just don't know what to say. Uh, I don't believe this is possible. But just in case, just in case, today I want you, if you're a believer, to follow these outlines because this is precisely the message that we need to tell people who don't know Jesus. Amen? So if you really want to learn what to say when you talk with somebody who's not a believer, you need to keep this paper with you and you need to memorize it and go through these points one for one in the exact same order. Amen? Don't change anything about it. That gives you the gospel loud and clear, very systemic and just as organized as it can possibly be. Amen? If you get somebody who's not a believer to understand these points in that very order, then we effectively have communicated the message of the gospel. Amen? So keep this paper with you, and it's online, and you can always go back and listen to the sermon. So when you stand before Jesus one day, don't ever say, Pastor Cammy didn't tell us what to say when we share the gospel. Amen? <laughs> Alright, so today I want to highlight with us seven lessons that we can learn from that story of the Day of Atonement. We're not going to dig deeper into the type, how the high priest is a type of Christ, or how the blood is a type of Christ, but we just want to learn more general outlines, lessons, notes that we can see um, from Leviticus chapter 16. So you guys ready? ready? All right, number one, we learn that God is holy. Where do we get that from? Verse 1 to 3. What is the context? Remember what happened? That two of Aaron's sons, now remember, Aaron is the high priest of that time. I mean, this guy is the most holy person in that nation. Amen? And his two, two of his four kids did something wrong. They profaned God. They offered profane fire. And what happened? God consumed them and they both died. And God in response said, you know what? I am holy. The word holy means pure, sinless, but it also means sit, one, the one who sit apart, who's isolated, who is not mixed with any, anything else or anybody else. Amen? So that is saying, I am holy. I am so pure. I cannot tolerate sin. I cannot accommodate sin. That's why in an essence I'm isolated from the human race because the human race is sinful 
And you just can't come into my presence anytime you want because I am holy. And when you're sinful and approaching a holy God, here's what's going to happen to you. You're going to die. And God gave a practical example when both of Aaron's sons died. They approached a holy and a righteous God in a sinful manner. God killed them both on that spot. Amen? God is holy. Let's say that together. God is holy. And even in verse 13, God said, when Moses himself, when Aaron himself come into the holy place, make sure that the, that, 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 that the smoke coming out of the incense will cover the Ark of the Covenant so that Aaron doesn't see me because if he sees me, Aaron himself will die. Why? Because God is holy. He cannot accommodate sin. He cannot tolerate sin. Amen? Amen? You know the major problem why people don't come to the gospel and come to Jesus? The one single problem is that people do not understand that God is holy, that he's so pure, that he cannot come close to sin. And we on the other hand are just as filthy as we can ever get. Amen? People think, you know what? Yes, I know I sinned. I know I broke the law of God. I know I did this and that. And I know God is not pleased on all of this. But hey, once I say, God, I'm sorry. He, he's forgiving. He will let it go. Yes, he is forgiving. But the same forgiving God is also a holy God. Amen? And even though you might be sorry for your sins, his nature is against sin. He cannot come close to it. There is nothing he can do about it because he is a holy and a righteous God. Amen? Amen. Let me show you some examples. Habakkuk 1.13. This is Habakkuk praying to God and he said, You who are of what? Purer eyes than to see evil. Habakkuk is saying, Your eyes, God, are so pure. You cannot Behold evil. You cannot see evil. And then he said after that, And what? Let's read that verse together. And cannot look at wrong. Wait. Did Habakkuk say God doesn't want to look at wrong? He cannot. What does it mean that he cannot? That means he is incapable of looking at evil. Do you see that? God cannot look at evil. Evil. Why? Because he is holy. It's against his nature. He can't look at it. He can't come close to it. It is so foreign to who he is and his nature that there is absolutely no way that a holy God can ever accommodate sin in any shape or way or form. He can't even look at it. That's bad news, isn't it? Job 4, 17 to 18. Look at this. Can mortal man be in the right before God? Obviously, that's a rhetorical, rhetorical question. The answer is no. Can a man be pure before his maker? And look at this. Even to his servants, that's the angels. This is Job saying that even to the servants, to his servants, he put no trust. And to his angel, he charges with the error. Angels don't sin. We agree on that, right? So the idea here is not that angels sin and God charged them with error. The idea is, even though angels don't sin, yet in the light of the holiness of God, they are still unclean before Him. Amen? They're so pure, they're so good in their own merits, but when you compare them to the holiness of God, they's just them in comparison. Amen? How much more you and me who are actually sinners. 
even to the angels, he brings charges or he charges them with error. Job 15, 15. Behold, God puts, his, puts no trust in the filthy one. In the holy one. In the holy one he doesn't trust. And the heavens are not pure in his sight. I mean, he's not saying the earth is not pure in his sight. If he says the earth is not pure in his sight, oh, we get it. It's full of filth. It has the human race that is fallen, that is sinning against God every single day. So if the Bible would have said that the earth is not pure before God, oh, that makes perfect sense. But the Bible doesn't say that the earth is not pure before God. It says that the heavens that only has angels is not pure before him. Why? Because he's so holy, he's so pure, that even angels and heaven cannot will them in comparison of the holiness and the righteousness of God. Amen? Amen. God is... A, that should in a way terrify us. God is holy. Let that sink in your mind for a little bit. God is holy. He doesn't take sin. He cannot accommodate sin. He cannot tolerate sin because he is holy. That's the lesson number one. That we understand from the book of Leviticus chapter 16. He's so holy, he struck both Aaron and son dead because they sinned against him. Number two, we are all sinners. We read that right here in that verse where we get that from. Verse 6, you see that the high priest... Listen, not the regular average Joe and the congregation of Israel. This is the top-notch person. Amen? This is the, the one who teaches the law. This is the one who knows the word of God inside out, right? This is the man that God has anointed to offer sacrifices and approach God. Even the high priest has to offer a sacrifice for his own sins before a holy and a righteous God. Amen? Why? Because every single person is a sinner before a holy and a righteous God. Isaiah 53, 6. What is the very first word in the verse? All oh. oh, we like sheep have gone astray. Question, when the Bible say all, what, how many people do you think the Bible includes here? Everybody. Everybody. There is 7.3 billion people in this world. How many you think have done it right with God? None. None. All have sinned before God. Yes. Psalm 14, 2-3. The Lord looks down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there is any who understand, who seek God. They have how many? All, All turned aside. They have how much? Together. Every single one together become corrupt. There is how many who does good? None, None who does good. How not? Not even one who does good before God. That's the Old Testament. That's not the New Testament. That's the Old Testament. Amen? Romans 3.23 For how many have sinned? Oh. All have sinned and fall short before the glory of God. You guys start seeing the problem here? We have a holy God and we have a bunch of people that all have sinned before Him. Not a single one. Not a single one. Not a single one has done it right by God. So here's the problem. We have a God who's holy, who cannot come close to sin. And on the other hand, we have a human race that is all have sinned before God. Not a single one who can come close to God. Do you want to make it a little bit worse? It's going to get worse, I tr trust me. We cannot do nothing about it. That's the worst part. 
Good works can do nothing to make you approach a holy and a righteous God. Where do we get this from in that text? Well, a couple of incidences. Remember God said that this, this, this feast, this celebration should be done in, in which month? The seventh month, right? Remember from creation story, God created everything in six days and he rested on the seventh day, right? So that seventh month talks to us about us resting, right? Like you do no work, right? And we read that a couple of times in that text that God emphasized over and over and over again that you should not do any work in that day. Let's read verse 29, for example. Verse 29. Then this shall be a statue forever for you. It is the seventh month on the tenth day of the, of the month. You shall afflict your soul and do how much work? And no work at all. Whether the native, whether the native of of your own country or a stranger who dwells among you. You do no work in that day, God said. But God, wait a minute. Wait a minute, God. I, 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 I wanted to say something here. I have sinned against you. I get it. And I feel bad about it. I get it. And that's the one day in the year that we can actually make it right with you, right? So why don't I just try to help out? What's wrong with that? I really am sincere about you know, my sins. And I really, really want to show you, not just in words, but also in deed, that I really want to make it up to you. God says, it doesn't work this way. Amen? You cannot do anything ever to be made right with me. Amen? Not even your good intention, not even your good works. There is absolutely nothing you can do to be made right with me. Good works cannot, doesn't have the ability to make you right with God. Even though you might have good intentions, still, good deeds can never save sinful people before the holy and the righteous God. Amen? Amen. Romans 3.20 Therefore, by the deeds of the law, how many flesh? No flesh will be justified before God. But God is really, we would do it out of sincerity. It doesn't matter. There is absolutely no good works you can do to be justified before God. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. Galatians 2.16 Yet we, that's, that's Paul. Talking in, when he fought with, uh, with Peter and he said, Yet we know that a person is not justified, is not justified by what? The by the works of the law, but by through faith in Christ Jesus. So we also have believed in Jesus. Do you see this? This is the guy who was a Pharisee, who was a good with the law. He said that when we realize that salvation and justification can never be obtained before God by the works of the law, but only by faith in Christ Jesus, we also believe in Christ Jesus because our works can do nothing to make us right with God. You get it? That's bad news so far, isn't it? Very, very bad news. God is a holy and a righteous God who cannot accommodate or tolerate sin. On the other hand, the best of us is sinful and wicked before a holy and a righteous God. And we absolutely can do nothing to make ourselves right with God. Amen? That's bad news so far. Amen? It's bad news, but it's true. Now let's... Flip on the good side, the good news. We also learn that only the blood can atone for your sins before God. Amen? 
We get that from verse 15 and 16. Let's turn, turn back and read. Verse 15 and 16. Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering which is for the people. Bring its blood inside the veil and sprinkle it on the mercy seat. And before the mercy seat, verse 16. So he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel. Amen. We mentioned this multiple times because I want you guys to get it. To atone for the sins. To, to provide propitiation. The idea again is this. God who is holy is rightly and righteously angry because of our sins. And yet the blood when it's atoned for the sin or it propitiates for the sin. It upease the wrath of a holy and a righteous God against our filth and against our sin. That's the very idea of propitiation of atonement. Amen? It covers our sins before a God who, who is ignited with wrath because of us breaking His law. And when our sins is covered before His eyes once and for all, now the wrath of God can pass over us. Amen? But do you see in that text, God said it's only the blood that can atone for the sins of the people. Good words can do nothing, but God has provided the way. And that way was through the blood and what God was doing symbolically in the day of atonement he has literally done on the cross when Jesus came from heaven he died on the cross he shed his blood and because of his blood now the righteous that the wrath of a righteous and a holy God can pass over every one of us if you are washing that blood and if you take refuge in the blood of Jesus amen, amen. only the blood can atone for your sins Leviticus 17, 11. This is what God is saying here. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I have given it to you upon the altar to what? To make atonement for your soul. Look at this. God can't get any clearer. Amen. For it is your good works that makes atonement for your souls. Right? No. What does it say? It is your sincerity that makes atonement of your souls. No. It's your good intentions that makes atonement for your souls. No. It's your sincere trials that makes your atonement for your souls. No. What makes atonement for the soul? It is only the blood that makes atonement for your souls. Amen? It's only the blood of Jesus can make you right before a holy and a righteous God. Nothing more, nothing less. That's all what it takes to be made right with God. Amen? Hebrews 9.22 And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood and without the shedding of blood of Jesus, without the bloodshed of Christ, there is absolutely no way it's impossible that will ever be remission of sin. Amen? Amen. It's only the blood that can atone for your souls. Only Jesus and Him crucified can make you right before God. But number five... Only the high priest can save you. Listen, you can't even save you if you want to, right? Remember in verse 17, God said, How many people should be in the tabernacle to make a tomb to help the high priest out? How many? None. Only the high priest. Well, God, how about just some aid? You know, just somebody even to carry the stuff for, for the high priest. And he can do all the work. He's just an assistant. God said, no assistant needed. Amen. It's only the high priest and the high priest alone who can provide atonement for the sin of the people. Amen. Amen. Even the one who wants to provide atonement for themselves, they have to stay outside in their own tent waiting for the high priest to provide salvation for them. Amen? You start getting the point? Yes. 
We are sinners before a holy and a righteous God and there's absolutely nothing we can do but only the blood of Jesus can atone for your sins and only Christ as our high priest is the only one who can provide salvation for you once and for all. And guess what? He doesn't need your assistance. Amen? Yes. You don't have to help him out. He doesn't need it. And guess what? Even if you try, you, all your trials are futile and actually are filthy before a holy and righteous God. God cannot even look at your good works because he's too holy to do that. Amen? Yes. Look at that verse in Hebrews, a couple of verses, Hebrews 7, 23 to 26. Now, the author of Hebrews is comparing Christ as our New Testament high priest with the high priest of the Old Testament, the priests and the high priest of the Old Testament. Look at this, this is so good. Verse uh, Hebrews 7, 23 to 26. Also there in the Old Testament were many priests. Why? Why there was many high priests in the Old Testament. Here it is, because they were prevented by death from... Uh, Continuing, Aaron the high priest was providing atonement for the people, but guess what? Aaron died and his son has to come in his place to be the high priest who provided atonement for the people for a little bit. And then guess what? Death prevented him from continuing to provide atonement for the people of Israel. And he died and his son has to come through. And he provided atonement for the children of Israel for a little bit, but guess what? Death prevented Aaron's grandson from continuing to providing atonement for the people of Israel. You get the point? Yeah. That's why there were many high priests in the Old Testament because every single one was prevented by death from providing eternal, like every year atonement for the children of Israel. Amen? Amen? Yes. Alright, now praise be to the name of Jesus. Look at verse 24. But He. Amen? But he, because he continues forever. Unlike every high priest of the Old Testament who was prevented by death from providing continual atonement for the children of Israel. So Jesus is not like that. Amen. Jesus lives forever. Amen. And death can never prevent him from providing atonement for his people. Amen. And because Jesus, he continues forever. He has unchangeable priesthood. Unlike the Old Testament with the priesthood has to change over and over and over. Jesus is not the same way because he lives forever. Look at this. Therefore, because he lives forever, because he's high priest and his priesthood does never change. Therefore, he is also what? Able to save to how much? To the utmost. Those who come to God, how? Through him. Now listen to me. Listen, listen, listen. This is very important. I don't care today if you're, it doesn't matter today if you feel the guilt and the shame of your sin. It doesn't matter even if you come to God with a truly repenting heart. That all doesn't matter. There's only one thing that matters. Only one thing that matters. You ready for it? Here it is. Are you coming to God through the blood of Jesus or are you coming to God through your own merits? Amen? Because even if you're willing to repent and try to come to God but apart from Jesus there is still no salvation from you amen it is the blood of Christ it is him being our high priest is the only foundation by which we can approach a holy and a righteous God and by which we can be made right with him amen it doesn't say that he is able to save to the utmost those who comes to God period right does it say that? Yeah. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say he's able to save to the utmost those who come to God. It says those who come to God, how? Through him. 
because he is the high priest who can only provide salvation for you. Amen? Amen. Muslims preach repentance. Hindus preach repentance. Atheists tell you it doesn't matter how wrong you did, as long as you're sorry for it and turn around, then you're going to be accepted before God. Everybody preach repentance. Repentance is not a unique doctrine for Christianity or for the Bible. Amen? It's pretty common everywhere. Amen? No, there's only one difference though. It's only the Christian repentance that is accepted before God because it's based on the blood of Jesus, on His death and resurrection. Amen? Every other repentance as sincere as it can be, it will never be accepted before a holy and a righteous God because salvation can only be found in the blood, the cross, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. That's it. But, the lesson number six, you must repent. Well, if you look back in the story, let's read that verse. Verse 31. Here is what God said. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest, that day of atonement. This is a Sabbath for you, it's a rest for you. And you shall, what? Afflict your souls, it is a statue forever. And let's even go back to verse 29. This shall be a statue forever for you. For you. It is a, on the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month. You shall afflict your soul and do no work at all. So, question. They do no work at all, but they still do one thing. What is it? Afflict their soul. It's not work, but it's an attitude of the heart. You guys see that? This is one thing that they must do in the day of atonement. They just, everybody stay in their tent. You don't have to do anything, just resting. And they reflect on their sins and how awful it is and how it has separated them from God. And ask God for forgiveness and ask the Lord to just have mercy on them because of their sins, because they have broken the, the law of a holy and a righteous God. Amen? So they have to repent. So much so that God said, if you don't repent, you'll be cut off. <laughs> you see that? So this is very, 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 very important that people must repent to receive that atonement that the high priest only can provide. You guys see that? So when you go out and witness people and you start telling people, you know, go through the whole thing and people say, hey, we're sinners before a holy God. There is absolutely nothing we can do. And God has provided that salvation to us through the blood of Jesus, through his cross. People immediately, like, jump to the conclusion and say, oh good, since Jesus paid for it all, that means we're all then going to go to heaven, right? He paid for all of it, therefore we all go to heaven, right? I mean, there's some twisted logic into it. Since somebody paid for it, then all should benefit from it. But it's not the Bible. Amen? John 3.16. Who can help me out here? For God so loved the world. How much? How many people did God love? The world, right? That He gave His Son for who? For the whole world. Can somebody help me out? So that the whole world should not perish, but have an everlasting life, right? Yes. Exactly. It doesn't say that the whole world might be saved and have an everlasting life. It says that whosoever believes in Him, even though God loved the world, even though the salvation is for the whole world, yet it's only those who believe in the Son of God, it's only those who can have eternal life and should never perish. Do you see that? Amen? God's salvation is available for all, but only those who repent of their sins are only ones who are actually going to make it to heaven and have salvation from God. You must repent. 
Because if you don't repent, even though Jesus died on the cross and he shed his blood for you to provide atonement and make salvation for you, you will still die and perish unless you repent from your sins. Amen? Amen. This is the one thing that God wants you to do so that he can give you eternal life, the free gift. And notice it is not just repenting in one sin. This is more an attitude of repentance. That's what God is saying. I want you to just afflict your souls with all the sins that you have committed. If you remember, we said in the day of atonement, God provides atonement for all the sins of the children of Israel, right? But God requires that they will be afflicted for all their sins. Just repenting of every single sin. Amen? We see a picture of that in the New Testament. There's actually many, many pictures, but I want to highlight one picture. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus told a parable, a story about a father who has two sons. Amen? And the younger came to the father and said, give me my money, I'm out of here. So he gave him the money, he goes away, he wastes his money, his inheritance. And then the Bible said that it got so bad with him that he even wanted, the prodigal son even wanted to fill his belly because he's so hungry with the, with the pods that the pigs that he ended up serving was eating. And then at that very condition that we, he was in, he came to his senses and he said, what in the world I'm doing here? There are so many slaves at my father's house who have leftover food and they cannot even eat the food that the pigs are eating. And then he said, I'm going to stand up, I'm going to turn back, and I'm going to tell my father, my father, forgive me, I have sinned against you. Change my condition. I want to leave the status where I'm in. I'm going to leave the foreign land. I want to come back and totally change and be a brand new person in your, your house. Even as a servant, I'll take that, but I cannot live like this anymore. Amen? Do you see? He was not just repenting of one sin. He wanted to change his whole life, his whole condition. He said, I want to repent of it all. And when he did that, that's when God, that's when his father had mercy on him. And friends, today I want to tell you the exact same thing. Jesus died on the cross. He shed his blood for your sins. And he rose again to give you the power to change. And today all what you have to do is just be willing to repent of not just one sin, but of all your sins. Come to the end of yourself and say, God, I'm a filthy sinner. You are so holy. I cannot come close to you. But I come close to you today based on the blood of Jesus and his resurrection come into my heart and change me I am not hold anything back friends if you pray that simple prayer today you will become a brand new creation in Christ Jesus amen yeah. you must yeah. repent but you don't repent of one sin you repent of every sin Amen? Yes. It doesn't work when you pray. You print gradually. It's just one sin at a time. Jesus, we talked about this with Barb and Cindy. Jesus said you are born again when you repent of that sin. Amen? Have you ever heard of a baby who's born his arm in March and his other arm in April and his leg in May and his other leg in, uh, in June and then the rest of his, and his head in July and then the rest of his body came out in September? Have you heard of any birth like that, right? It all comes out all at once. This is birth, right? Same thing when it comes to God. You cannot repent of one sin at a time. It's the one time you come to God and say, I'm sorry for all my sins. Come into my heart today and change all of me. That's when you are born again of the Spirit of God. Amen? It doesn't work gradually, friends. Amen? You either repent of it all or you're not repenting at all. Amen? You must repent. Are we preaching from the Old Testament or from the New Testament? Isn't that just awesome?
Amen. Now, the last thing we learn here is, unless you repent, you shall perish. We read that verse in Leviticus 23, 29. If any person, God said, who has not afflicted, is not afflicting his soul, or afflicted in the soul, on that day, this person shall be cut off. Now, let's just pause here for a minute. God is saying you have to afflict yourselves on that day and repent of your sins. And if you don't do it, you're going to be cut off that very day. One time, a friend posted, uh, not a friend, somebody posted something on Facebook, and he said um, something to that extent. They said, God loves the world so much that he created hell just in case you don't love him back. Okay? So I repeat that quote again. God loved the world so much that he created hell just in case you don't love him back. The idea is God is forcing you to follow him as a, otherwise you're going to die and go to hell. This is twisted. This is not the God of the Bible. Amen? Because God has not created hell and today he's giving you the option either to choose heaven or to choose hell. You guys follow me? Today you're not like at a crossroads and you're making up your mind either to love God or go to heaven or don't love him and end up in hell, right? It is not that case. Remember, we have already sinned before the holy and the righteous God, amen? We have already broken his law. We are already under his judgment and his wrath because we have already broken the law of God, amen? So by default, every one of us is heading toward eternal destruction, amen? But God so loved the world that He has provided a way for each one of us to escape the wrath and the judgment of God. And that way is through Jesus Christ, His blood and His resurrection. You follow that? Yes. So it is not that God is going to punish you if you don't love Him back. You are going to hell. He's offering you a way out through the blood of Jesus. You follow me? Yes. So today... A lot of people say, oh, don't preach, turn or burn. Well, there is no such a thing. Sinners don't have the options to turn or burn. Sinners are already burning. They just need to turn to Jesus. Amen? Amen. Today you're not at a crossroad and you need to decide either to follow God and love Him and have eternal life or not to love God and end up in destruction. Today you are on a highway of destruction and it is not looking good for you, friend. But today God is offering you an exit, a way out of that wrath and from that judgment called the blood of Jesus. And if you don't run and take refuge in that blood, there's absolutely nothing waiting for you except the wrath of a holy and a righteous God that you and I have rightly earned. But unless you repent, you shall all perish. It's not like you have to choose today. You're going to perish by default. Repentance is the only way out. You guys get the difference? Luke 13, 1-5. This is a story in the New Testament. Um, there, were, uh, there were present at that time some who told him, that's Jesus, about the, Galile the Galileans, the Galileans who, whose blood Pilate has mingled with their sacrifices. So it looks like there was a political incident at that time, some of the, in the news, circulating that Pilate has killed some of the Galileans who were trying to offer sacrifices and he just murdered them and their blood was mixed with their sacrifices. So they were telling Jesus, hey, did you hear what uh, CNN was saying? And then verse 2, then Jesus answered and said to them, 
Do you suppose that these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered such things? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise what? Perish. Look at this. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them. That's another incident that happened in the time of Jesus. Another current news. Do you think that they were worse sinners than all other men who dwell in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Now listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. Don't you think that when you read in the news about people dying every single day, those who died in September 11, those who are being murdered every single day by accident, if you live in Southeast, you know people die every single day being shot, right? Now I want you to know that these people who die and their, their eternal fate has sealed once and for all, and if they don't know Jesus, they are doomed. I want you to know that these people are not more sinners than you. We're just equally sinners before a holy and a righteous God. God, just for his, in His grace and in His mercy, decide to spare you one more day because He wants you to repent. Because He wants you to return to Him. Because He wants you to take, come to Him and take advantage of the blood of Jesus. Amen? But if you're going to harden your heart and keep saying no to the blood of Jesus and God's way of salvation, the only way of salvation, then guess what? Jesus was as clear as He can be. Unless you repent, you shall all perish. It's not that you might perish. You will perish. Repentance and coming to God through the blood of Jesus is your only way out. This is the gospel, friend. Just simple and clear. Nothing complicated today. This will come before the Lord and close our eyes in prayer.